Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through Ephesians, and in the previous message, I was in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, where it says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And in the previous message, I spoke about this from the most popular point of view, that God has chosen some people to be saved and other people to go to hell. That this is the most popular belief that I have found as I have engaged the Christian world and as I have taken a look at the history of the church ever since Jesus died and rose from the dead, This has been the most popular point of view, and I explained in the previous program that I believe that this point of view is consistent with pagan Greek philosophy, and I explained in the previous program that in the history of the Christian church, in the history of Christianity, there have been some predominant teachers, influential theologians, who did teach the scriptures from the point of view of pagan Greek philosophy, and that this has been documented enough that I can say that with confidence. And this is one of those beliefs, the belief that God makes the ultimate decision concerning who is going to go to heaven and who is going to go to hell on an individual basis. Now, I, of course, believe that God makes the ultimate decision. However. I believe that he has made this decision by defining the covenant that a person can agree to or reject. That because he has defined the covenant, he is in total control. He does make the ultimate decision. The argument that I tend to have with people, however, has to do with, does he choose individuals Or did he present this covenant to the collective in the sense of everyone in the world? And through presenting the offer to everyone in the world, anyone in the world can respond to that offer and so that they can have an individual relationship with him, but that this would be a mutual choice, a mutual decision, a decision of God and a decision of that other person. From a theological point of view, people like to argue the point of is there free will or is there not free will? Just to give you an example. Whose decision is it? Is it God's decision or is it your decision? If it's your decision, well, then you have power over God. And if it's God's decision, well, then he has power over you. Which one would you rather have? That's how people will usually argue this, and they won't allow for the possibility that maybe it was a mutual decision. That God defined the criteria. He defined the definition. He said, in effect, this is the kind of person that I want to have in my life. Is there anyone out there who is this kind of a person? And if there is that kind of a person out there, 
then that kind of a person can respond to the gospel that is presented to them. So these are the kinds of things that I was mentioning in the previous program. And in the previous program, I also mentioned that this subject is very big. It's very big because there are many different perspectives that people have. There are a lot of different verses that people would like to have addressed. There is no way that I would be able to cover this kind of a topic in this kind of a study because my purpose is to go through the book of Ephesians verse by verse. Now, having said that, there can be an opportunity for me to answer some questions that people might have in hearing the previous program in this one, because sometimes there are specific verses that people want to address that support these kinds of beliefs. It just so happens that I have done other verse-by-verse studies, and these studies can be found for free in the Living God Ministries radio archive, chances are. I have taught through those verses already. Go and listen to those programs that are specific for those chapters and verses. And it's possible that I may have given an alternative point of view that you can consider when it comes to those specific verses. But in this program, I will have to proceed and move on and talk about this verse in the way that I do believe it was intended to be expressed. Now, before I get right to it, I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to ask you to consider, would it be okay if God had people in his life because they wanted to be in his life? I think that this is an important question, that this is a really good question. Is it okay? Would it be okay? Would it be acceptable for God to have people in his life Because they decided, they chose, they said, you know, I want to be in God's life and I want him to be in mine. Would it be okay if he had people in his life like that? The answer to this kind of a question will say a lot about a person and their belief about who God is and what's important to him. You see, in the previous message, I talked about the different reasons why people would perhaps want to believe in certain things. And I think it's important to acknowledge that people have reasons as to why they want to believe certain things that they believe. And in the previous program, I mentioned that there are some reasons that they won't even tell you. They don't want you to know what the real reasons are. But regardless of what is important to us, Regardless of what we would like to believe or what we value, what about God? Does he have an opinion on this subject? What is it that he wants? What is it that he's after? And, you know, when I raise the question of is it okay if people are in his life because they want to be, that kind of a question can often be ignored because the theological beliefs that a person holds to, those beliefs are so important to them about what they want to believe that that kind of a question would not have any relevance at all. What difference does it make if God has somebody in his life because they want to be in his life? Can't he just create a person and impose upon them the desire to be in his life because they want to, even though they don't really want to, because God just decided that they would want to. What kind of a relationship is that? And when I put it in that way, when I present this to people, 
they don't want to consider this as a possibility because the consequences of answering this kind of a question would cause so much of a disruption in their philosophical and theological belief system that they have to assert that it doesn't have any relevance. But you know, this is something that I believe is important. I really do have the conviction that God is looking for people to be in his life because they want to, not because he forced them to, not because he created them to be in his life whether they want to be in his life or not. It will have nothing to do with that. It will only have to do with the fact that God has just simply created this person to have this attitude, to have this affection towards him. And choice and free will just has nothing to do with anything. I have encountered a lot of people who really want to embrace these beliefs to the point where they won't even entertain this kind of a question. But I do, I do see that God is looking for people to be in his life because they want to be. Now, in order for this to be possible, people have to have the ability to choose. They have to have free will. Otherwise, the relationship is not a real and genuine relationship. Now, it's the same thing for God. God has to be able to decide if he wants to be in a person's life or not. He has to be able to decide if he wants that other person to be in his life. So there does have to be a match between the two. There has to be mutual agreement. There has to be a covenant between the two persons that both people understand, appreciate, value, recognize, and embrace. And I really do see that this is what God has accomplished. I really do see that God has already accomplished this. And every generation since Jesus died and rose from the dead, and generations before as well in other ways, but that every generation has had a few people who were the kinds of people that God wanted to have in his life and that these were the kinds of people who wanted to be in God's life as well. And that this world was structured, it was created in a way that the people who would dwell in this world would all have enough of an invitation to turn to their creator and decide if they wanted to know who he is or not. Every generation has had the opportunity to decide if they want to pursue a knowledge of their creator or not. And every generation has had enough exposed to them, revealed to them, so that they could decide if they wanted to surrender to the true and living God or not. And I believe that in every generation, God has had people turn to him and embrace him, and he has embraced them, and that every generation has produced a person or a group of people who will be with him throughout eternity, and that this is the fundamental purpose as to why God created this planet at all. He created this world for this purpose, to have people in his life, in his kingdom, throughout all eternity. And as you've probably noticed, there are very few people who have an interest in him. Very few. But you know, it's better 
for some than for none. And in this case, it can also be better for few in comparison with the majority because the quality of people that he will gain will be much greater if it is of the few than it would be if it was of the majority. Another way to look at this is that if you look at the world that God created, the world has so much available in it. And when you consider the opportunity for sin, there can also be another form of appeal to a person's flesh. Not just the appeal to the flesh in the sense of all the good food that you can eat, all of the wonderful places you can see, all of the exciting activities that you can participate in, which can, of course, appeal to the flesh and still not be sin. But when you include all of the opportunities to engage in sin and how tempting that can be for people, when they consider that perhaps God does not want them to engage in evil, and yet it can be quite appealing and tempting, you can see how only a minority of people would be willing to turn away from the temptations of evil to embrace their God, because evil is attractive. And you know, evil can show itself in many ways, in many forms, just in solving the problems of life. You know, as an individual has to engage the world, engage their lives, and they solve the problems of life, many of the ways that people solve the problems of life are sinful. They are dysfunctional. They are destructive. They are dishonest. Their strategies are based on fraud and manipulation and lies. And why do people solve the problems of life in harmful, sinful, wicked, evil ways? Because these ways tend to be easier, especially if they can get away with it without regard for the consequences. A person can find solutions to the problems of life that are wicked and evil, and yet they're easier, and so they turn to those. Fewer people will choose the solutions that are going to require more effort, that might require some pain, some labor, some sweat. People have a tendency to choose the easy way, and the easy way, the easier ways, can be sinful. They can be wicked and evil, and so when you consider the world that is in competition with the kingdom of heaven, when you consider that there is competition for people's attention between the world, the sinful, wicked, evil world, and the kingdom of heaven and the living God, when you consider the competition between the two, you can see how easy it would be for the majority of the people to turn to that which is evil and the minority of people, very few people, turn to the one who is good. But in this case, the end result is good because it is more difficult. It is harder for a person to turn to God than it is to reject him. It's easier for a person to reject God than to embrace him. So to embrace God, to surrender to the new covenant, is a struggle. It is a struggle for people. But for those few people who are willing to embrace this struggle, for those few people who are willing to let go of that which is easy, that which is convenient, that which is evil, 
And again, things can be easy and convenient. I don't want to say that anything that's easy and convenient is evil. I'm just saying that in general, those things that are evil are easy and convenient. For a person to turn away from those things because they recognize that there can be something of greater value in being true, in living in honesty and in integrity, in having a personal relationship with the living God who has created all things, there will be fewer people who will pursue that, but those who do will be in God's life because they really want to. You have to really want to be in God's life. You have to really want Him, for who He is, to be in your life. You have to really want this in order to turn away from all of the sin and wickedness and evil that is available in the world. The temptations are profound. And the evil that exists in the world, all these temptations and all the sin and all the wickedness, this is all the consequences of the choices and the decisions of people to turn away from their God. This is not God's design. He did not design all of these opportunities for evil so that you can go and engage in evil. The evil and wickedness in the world is the result of the decisions of the people to reject their God and turn away from him. But it's in the midst of this struggle. It's in the midst of these conflicts of these challenges, of these difficulties of life. It is in the midst of these, and quite often inspired by them, that there are people who will turn to their God because they want to know Him, and they want to know what it is to have peace, and love, and joy, and acceptance in their lives in a real way. They want to live in the reality that God has defined. These are the people who he will have in his life. So when he created the world, he created the world in a way that there wasn't this evil present. He created this world in a way to be functional. It was the decision of Adam and Eve and everyone after them that resulted in all the conflict and problems and issues related to this world. And God knew that this was going to happen. You don't even have to be God to figure out that this would happen. Eventually, somebody would eat from the wrong tree. One day, eventually, this is going to happen. Eventually, somebody's going to reject God. You don't have to be God in order to figure out that this would happen. And God provided a solution to the fall of humanity before he even created the world. He created the world knowing that there would be the need for a Savior. That's what's represented in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, where it says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, he knew that the world would need a Savior. He knew that there would be some people... Not many, but there would be some people who would want to know him, who would want to be in his life. He knew that there would be people who would suffer enough in the world of sin that they would want something different. 
He knew that people would look around at the creation and they would see that there must be a God and that they didn't know who he was, but they wanted to. And he obviously was not participating as much as they would like. He would be someone that they would need to struggle to find, struggle to discover, struggle to get to know. And this would require some effort on their part, especially because they would have to take time out of their exciting lives, most of which would probably be related to the indulgence of the flesh. But those were the people that God wanted. He wanted those people who would see that they wanted something else besides the indulgence of the flesh and all that the world had to offer. He knew that there would be some people who would want to have a relationship with the creator of the world, and they would want that more than having a relationship with the world that he created. Again, he knew that there would be some people who would want to have a relationship with the creator of the world more than a relationship with the world that he created. So through defining the way that a person could be saved, through defining the gospel, through defining the Savior, the Messiah, through defining the new covenant that would eventually be presented, by default, he chose a certain kind of person. And when this good news, when this gospel went out into the world, it was presented to everyone, but only the kind of person who would want to have a relationship with God, would embrace that message. So who did he choose? He chose a certain kind of person, the kind of person who would choose to surrender to the new covenant, who would choose to embrace the gospel, who would choose the living God, the creator of the world, over the world that he created. So in verse 4, when he says, just as he chose us, he's talking about the collective. He's talking about the body of Christ, the children of God as a whole. That is the us that he chose by defining the means by which a person can be saved. This isn't about choosing one person over another. It's not about choosing individuals. It's about choosing a kind of person who wants to be with him throughout eternity. If God chose individuals, then people are not turning to him because they want to, but because God imposed himself by his choice, and the individual is compelled. That would be the proper word to use, is that people are compelled by God by his choice. This is not the same as God having someone in his life because they want to be in his life or having someone who knows him because they genuinely want to know him. The belief that this is selective in the sense of God is selecting individuals will lead to distortions that will keep people from entering into a genuine relationship with their God the kind of relationship that he's looking for, the kind of relationship that he wants to have. And you will discover that when people believe that God chooses the individual, their relationship with God is very limited. And I will continue with this in the next program. 
You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.